All right, we are finishing up our series called The Greatest Sermon Ever Preached, talking about the Sermon on the Mount. So eight weeks of it. I intended to get it done at the end of December so that we could have a nice January vision series. Uh, that didn't quite work out because we're already into February. But uh, I feel like we're just cr- scratching the surface on all the great things in the Sermon on the Mount. Next week we'll talk about, since it's close to Valentine's Day, next week we'll talk about uh, what the scriptures have to say about relationships and walking into God's plan A for, uh, for marriage and relationships. And then, uh, then we'll talk a little bit about vision after that. So uh, pretty excited about that. It's always important to, to stay on track uh, and then we'll have a new, a new longer series after that stuff is all complete. So, um, <clears throat> boy, eight weeks on the greatest sermon ever preached. This is the sermon that Jesus preached basically to bring us from the Old Testament era into the New Testament era. He preached to fulfill the law, to bring us into this new covenant. And so we've covered all kinds of stuff. We're not going to talk about all those things. But last week, we did talk about asking, seeking, and knocking. So let's get the recap from last week and see what Jesus has to say here in the middle of Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7. Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Now this sounds very straightforward and very strong and very sure. Amen? Have you ever knocked? Have you ever asked for something and it didn't quite work out how you wanted it to? Mm. That's a tough one. Let's, uh, so we talked about that last week. Let's finish these verses because Jesus describes the character of our Father in heaven so that we understand who He is and what we can expect. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? <laughs> that would be terrible, right? Oh, you're hungry? Here you go. You know, you give him a big rock. Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So Jesus is backing up His statement of ask, seek, and knock, because you'll receive by saying, look at the character of God. He will help you. But, again, have you ever asked for something and not gotten it? So we talked about that. We, we talked about all those things. And really, uh, there's three categories of asking, seeking, and knocking. And the, the, the process can get messed up if, for example, we ask for something that's not in accordance with God's plan, not in accordance with God's will. If we ask God to change the course of history and God wants to do this, but we tell Him to do that, is He going to have to bow to our wishes? No. So if we're asking against God's will, then, you know, that's going to mess up the process. Then there are times where we're, we're wanting something in accordance with God's will, but we don't ask. One of the amazing things about the way God set this up is that He waits for us to ask Him for things before He does things. He can be ready, prepared to help. Waiting for us to ask. 
And we don't ask, and so he doesn't help. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I always thought that was a really interesting thing, but you see it over and over again in the scriptures. And we talked about that last week. You do not have because you do not ask. And then there's the third category, which is when we're wanting something that's in line with God's will, and we ask for it, we seek after it, we're banging on the door, and then we're able to receive good things from God. So those are three categories. So when you're noticing that the asking isn't working, then it's time to check. Am I asking according to God's will? Uh, Am I failing to truly seek after things? Or am I asking in accordance with God's will and able to receive those things from God? So uh, that's a recap from last week. Let's get into new material. Talk about building houses on sand. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your holy scriptures. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, that you don't leave us here to just wander around, do the best we can, but you guide us by your spirit and you guide us by your word. Lord, help us to see what you've got for us this morning. Each one of us is dealing with different things. We're fighting different parts of the battle. We're we're just in different places, and we need a different touch from you. And so, Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would touch each one of us with what we need this morning so that we can uh, believe in you better, so that we can serve you better, we can understand your ways a little better, and that we can just um, have faith in you that's stronger this morning. So bless our time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Houses on sand. Who, have, who in here has heard the story Jesus talked about with regards to building a house on sand versus building a house on a rock. Raise your hand real high if you're familiar with those verses. All right, so uh, this is the culmination of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to finish chapter 7, work through the verses there, and it finishes with Jesus describing uh, people who hear what he has to say but don't do it, Their ones, he says, are like a house being built on sand. When the storm comes, the house falls. But when we hear what he has to say and we actually put it into practice, then it's like building your house on a rock. The storm comes, but the house stands. And so that's uh, where the culmination of the sermon is going to to end up. But let's work our way there first. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. This is a great headline verse. I like headline, bottom line, important verses where you don't have to really figure it out, but it gives you lots of information in a really, really small package. And that's what we get with Matthew seven twelve. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Amen. It's the golden rule. So Jesus speaks out the golden rule. He says, look, just put yourself in their shoes and think, is this something that I would want them to do to me? That's going to help you out in your understanding whether or not you're doing the right thing. So Jesus gives the golden rule. And then he continues, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. So, Jesus is saying that most people, the majority, the crowd, is walking into destruction. That doesn't seem very great. 
you know, that's kind of bad news, isn't it? And then verse 14, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. So I remember reading this the first time years and years ago and thinking, this is terrible. <laughs> if, if broad is the road that leads to destruction and many, many enter through that, however, abundant life is available to everyone, eternal life is available to everyone, forgiveness of sins is available to everyone, the wisdom of God is available to everyone, seeing ourselves in light of the love of Christ is available to everyone, and yet most people miss it, that's terrible. And so... I've dedicated quite a bit of my life to trying to make Matthew 7, 13, and 14 a little less true. <laughs> let's, let's broad, broaden, is that a right word? Broaden the narrow road a little bit. Amen? Let's get that narrow road a little bit more crowded. But I think this narrow road that leads to life is talking about both fronts that we discussed in our series called The War, Living Life in the Front Lines that we recently went through uh, last fall. And so we talked about the everlasting life front, how God has made a way for us to have everlasting life in eternity with God. Instead of destruction, instead of condemnation, we have forgiveness and everlasting life. We are saved into an Eternal inheritance with God. That's a very, 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 very important uh, thing to be able to, re, re, uh, to receive everlasting life. But then Jesus also talked about abundant life now. Living life to the full in this life. And so I think when Jesus is talking about this narrow road, he's talking about both everlasting life in eternity with God and abundant life now. That there are only a few people who are able to grab hold of these things, the good things of God, abundant life now, everlasting life with God in eternity. And so I, I want to grab hold of both of them. Amen? I want to grab hold of both of them. And what Jesus is saying is following the crowd is not the way to get there. Following the crowd is not the way to get there. When we look around and we see, well, everyone else is doing it, does that mean that we're on the right track? I tell you, you have to have a pretty good crowd if that's, if that's the case. Uh, but, you know, culture goes a certain way. And even church culture goes a certain way. Even if you're following the church crowd, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going the right direction. Because there's lots of fads and lots of misunderstandings and, and lots of things of church. One of the things about Christianity that's just amazing to me is you have an interweaving of the most profound, incredible truths of God and some of the most shallow, stupid things you're ever going to see interwoven together. You know, it's just, it's kind of bizarre. But the reality is you can be in the church world and just be following mushy fad stuff that amounts to nothing. And so we need to connect with the truths of God, the real things of God. 
And uh, that means the narrow road. That means that instead of looking at what everybody else is doing, we look at a different source to evaluate whether or not we're going down the right road. What might that other source be? Be the truth of God, the scriptures, the teachings of Jesus. We look at the Holy Bible and we look and see, am I walking on the narrow road or am I just doing all the stuff everybody else is doing? Because I want to grab hold of that life. Small is the gate, narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Let's see if we can't find it. Amen? It's available for the finding. But we have to look for it. We have to seek after it. And then Jesus continues, verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. So, if you fall into the hands of a false prophet and you're believing what this person is saying, are you going to end up on that narrow road that leads to life? No, it's going to mess up your life, right? So Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. And the reason Jesus said, watch out for false prophets is because there were false prophets. Do you think there might still be false prophets? For sure. I was talking about the shallow fad things of Christianity earlier. Man, there's a lot of stuff that just comes and goes and amounts to nothing. People jump on the bandwagon, they get all excited about something, and then it comes and goes. Well, what, what is that? That's not what we're looking for. So Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. And he, oops, I'm sorry. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So they've got an exterior which is different from their interior. They are pretending that they care about you, but they're really just trying to get something from you. Things like that. Verse 16, Jesus describes how do we recognize them. By their fruit, you will recognize them. It's very important to be able to tell the difference between a good uh, spiritual mentor, a real prophet, versus a false prophet. And Jesus says the way that you tell isn't by their gift set. It isn't by how flashy they are. It isn't about how amazing, you know, that they can do something. Jesus says by their fruit you will recognize them. What's in the wake of this person? Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So, I was reading this one again years ago and thinking, if every bad tree cannot bear good fruit... And every good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Which one am I? Because I see good fruit and I see bad fruit from my life. Have you ever thought that? Like, I've seen both. I've done things that have done damage. I've done things that have helped. I've, you know what I mean? Like, isn't there both? And yet Jesus is very, very clear. Bad tree, bad fruit, good tree, good fruit, done. And he's 
very, very strong on that. And so I was wrangling over that for a while, and I really believe the Lord just revealed to me, hey, there's two trees growing in you, man. <laughs> there's the, the sinful nature. There's the old ways. There's that that's in there warring with our born-again nature, the new person, and those two are in conflict. And when the sinful nature wins out, it bears bad fruit. And when the new creation wins out, it bears good fruit. But in our current state, those two things are warring with each other. They're battling with each other. And we need to grab hold of the new life in Christ so that we can bear good fruit for the kingdom of God. Last verse on this topic. Verse 20, thus by their fruit, you will recognize them. So again, when we're watching out for false prophets, we need to look at the fruit, look at the wake, what comes behind these people. Is it life-giving? Is it of God? Or can you tell in hindsight this was bad news? Now, there are implications on this with regards to building your house on sand. So what Jesus is saying is that if you trust in the wrong spiritual leaders, you're going to have a difficult life. You're going to have problems. It's very, very important to align yourself with the right people. Amen? Now, unfortunately, there are no perfect Christian leaders. There are no perfect pastors or missionaries or anything like that. Amen? Why does God put imperfect people into prominent positions? Because he has no other option. (laughs) It's just that simple. And so when we're watching out for false prophets, we're not watching out for the imperfect because that's everybody. But we're watching out for a wrong heart. Watching out for darkness. Watching out for those sorts of things. And if we put our trust in the wrong people, then it's like building our house on sand. We think we're on a firm foundation, but we're not. And things are going to fall. Now, verse 21, Jesus gets into another important topic. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not everyone. This is different from John 3.16. Whosoever, you know, come on in. Here Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So, what does it mean for Jesus to be your Lord? It means that he's your authority. He's your higher power. If he says do this, you say, yes, sir. That's what Lord means. So if our God is our Lord, then we will do what our God says. And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So he's saying just saying Lord, but not making him your Lord is not sufficient. You have to actually make Jesus your Lord. You have to actually follow him. You have to actually 
obey the teachings of Christ or he's not actually your Lord. You're just calling him that, but it's not really true. And God is smarter than that. He'll see through it. Verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? So these are people on the wide road. Right? Many will do what? Prophesy and drive out demons and perform miracles. That's pretty high level stuff. These are church people. These are deep in church people. But he says, verse 23, he says, Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. So we see here, of course, Jesus says, away from me, you evildoers, meaning that they were jumping into the, uh, the spiritual things of God, but they were not walking in the morality of God. They were interested in the, the prophesying and the driving out demons and performing miracles, but it is likely that these were people who were deceptive, who, you know, uh, they weren't telling the truth. Maybe they were covetous and keeping things for themselves. Whatever it is that they're doing, they were evildoers. Our, after the vision series, we'll probably do a series called something like uh, uh, the power of the prophetic or something along those lines. Because you've got linear thinkers who are really good at following the Ten Commandments. You know, there's that type of Christianity. We're going to follow the Ten Commandments. And, you know, those are linear or strategic thinkers. You know, I'm in that category myself. I like to understand what's happening and have a strategic plan and say, here's what you do and this is what the results are. And then if you've also noticed, there are non-linear, more prophetic type people in Christianity. Have you noticed that? You know, and to the linear person, the non-linear person uh, seems kind of loopy, right? Because it's non-linear and they're dealing with these prophetic things and driving out demons and all this sort of stuff that you can't really see and you're like what is going on and uh, the reality is is we need to be able to engage the prophetic things of God and also walk in the straight and narrow and do right, walk in the moral ways of God. Jesus is looking for the complete package, not just people who are good at following rules but can't in, engage the Spirit and certainly not looking for people who try to engage the Spirit but who can't follow decent ways of living. We've got to be able to bring the two together and receive all of the things of God, the complete counsel of God. So Jesus is saying here, if you are going to grab hold of the spiritual things of God, but you're not going to walk in the morality of God, you're building your house on sand. You have to grab hold of the morality of God as well. And the big finish, verse 24. Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. 
So how does Jesus describe people who hear the truths of God, they hear the teachings of Jesus, and they actually put them into practice? What happens to that person? Triumph in the storm. The storm still comes. The wind comes. The rain comes. Beats against the house. Is this a picture of, well, I I trust in Jesus, so everything's going to work out great? It's a picture of, I trust in Jesus, so I'll have the ability to weather the storm. Jesus doesn't give us the ability to avoid the storm. He gives us the ability to weather the storm, to stand in the midst of difficulty, to overcome when the onslaught happens. He doesn't say that the onslaught won't happen, but that it will, but we will be able to stand. Verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Next verse. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So Jesus is saying that if we hear the words of God, if we know the teachings of Jesus, and yet we don't put them into practice, we will have trouble in this life. And the problem is, is then your life will fall apart because you're not standing on a firm foundation. That the house will fall with a great crash, I think, has implications on both of the fronts, again, from the war series. The everlasting life front, when Jesus says, away from me, you evildoers, that's, that's a scary thing as far as the everlasting life front is concerned. But hey, even if it's not that far, your life can fall apart, right? The, uh, the abundant life now thing can be uh, taken away as the, as the problems come and you're not on a firm foundation, and the house falls. One of the things uh, that I said, I think, a couple weeks ago, is that probably one of the most significant practical failures within Christianity is when we ignore our own faults, uh, but focus on the faults of others. You know, take the plank out of your eye, deal with yourself. Jesus wants us to self-evaluate first and then try to help other people. Then we can actually help instead of just being an irritant. So we don't want to hurt people, we want to help people, but that starts with self-evaluation. Jesus says, don't judge, rather deal with yourself, then you can help. That's probably the greatest practical failure that I see right now in Christianity This thing about building your house on sand versus building your house on the rock could possibly be one of the greatest conceptual or theological errors in modern Christianity. Because it seems like that people think, well, God is gracious, God loves me, He's very, very forgiving, so I can ignore God's commandments and everything will work out fine anyway. It seems to be the theology of the day. Um, And so Jesus describes two categories, and I think we've added a third. 
The two categories Jesus describes here is those who, uh, you know, builder one builds his house on sand, who hears the word of God, knows they're not supposed to judge, but goes ahead and does it anyway and sort of hopes it's all going to work out, but doesn't realize they built their house on sand, and then when the storm comes, it falls apart. Then we've got builder number two, who is the one who builds his house on the rock, who hears the truths of God, hears the ways of God, actually puts them into practice. When the difficulties come, then they're able to stand. And group number three, again, that I think we've made up, is the person who hears and who believes, but who doesn't do. Can you hear what Jesus has to say? Believe what he has to say, and, you know, thus, because you believe, you get all the benefits, but still not do it. How does that work? So, if Jesus says, if you hear these words of mine and put them into practice, you're like someone building your house on the rock. But if you hear these words and you don't put them into practice, it's like building your house on sand. If you believe that, what are you going to do? Put them into practice, right? So you can't believe and not put them into practice. It's like if, uh, boy, years ago, this was fun. Uh, You ever have something just work out for you? This was way back. You know, I'm old. Uh, I try to not look as old as I am, but I, I'm old. And uh, I grew up in the, in, you know, cars, you had to drive the car. You know, you didn't just point it and it all worked out fine. You had to do stuff to get the car to go, you know. And there was no traction control, anti-lock brakes, any of this business, you know. I mean, you're driving on ice, you'd better be able to figure it out. And I was driving with somebody else. And we were sliding towards this big snowbank. And he was driving, and I said, take your foot off the brake. Just steer a little bit. It'll grab. And he's like, I can't do that. I'm like, trust me, man. Take your foot off the brake. We're going to hit the snowbank anyway. So he took his foot off the brake, and it just grabbed, and we made the turn. It was all fine. And I thought, wow, that worked out better than I thought it would. Um, <laughs> but that's a situation where, where I just said, man, just trust me. While we're sliding. You know what I mean? How much time does he have? He's like either going to take his foot off the brake or he's going to slide into the snowbank. He took his foot off the brake. What if he just said, I I totally believe you, man. I trust you completely, but I'm going to slam the brakes on. Does that make any sense? No. So when we say to Jesus, I completely believe in you, man. You are my Lord, but I'm not going to do what you say. It doesn't make any sense. We need to learn the ways of God, walk in the ways of God. And the promise is, then our house will stand. So, I don't want to get all legalistic, but let's believe God's ways are good. They're good for you, they're good for me. And let's endeavor to put them into practice, amen? What would that look like? Well, let's look at some of the topics from the Sermon on the Mount. And see what it would look like to put them into practice. And as we do that over these next couple of minutes, let's think to ourselves, 
How could ignoring these teachings cause our lives to fall apart? Could ignoring these teachings of Jesus cause just naturally our lives to fall apart? So the Sermon on the Mount began with the Beatitudes, having the right attitude. So uh, extrapolating from the Beatitudes, we see the attitude Jesus is looking for is uh, Jesus is looking for humble, gentle, merciful, pure peacemakers who hunger and thirst for God's ways and who will persevere even when other people don't understand them. So if we've got that type of attitude, we're going to be able to overcome and persevere in difficult times. If we have a bad attitude, is that going to affect our walk with God? Absolutely, things could fall apart. Jesus says that we're to love our fellow Christians and even to love our enemies and pray for them. Could the bitterness that comes from, uh, from hating your enemy take you out with regards to the ways God is calling you to go in your life? Absolutely. That bitterness, that darkness, that unforgiveness can take us off of the road God has for us. Things can fall apart. Jesus says, be true to your spouse in your mind. Don't cheat on your spouse, but also don't cheat in your head. (laughs) Could cheating on your spouse in your head affect your marriage? Absolutely. So if we disobey that teaching, we can see the effect on the marriage is a problem. Jesus says, be truthful, tell the truth. Don't be lying, don't be fiddling around with untruth. If you need other people to be deceived about who you are for your life to work, it will eventually fall apart. You can be truthful. But you have to be honest with yourself. Jesus says, uh, serve God to serve God, not to impress or manipulate people. If we're going through the Christian motions to keep mom happy, eventually that's not going to work. Catching it? Don't serve money. Serve God. Then you can have money, but don't serve money. Running after money can cause us problems. The house can fall. Don't worry, but trust in God's ways and God's provision. Tell you what, don't worry is one of those somewhat difficult commands. You know, oh, okay. (laughs) Since you said don't worry, I guess I won't. Um... But it's a, it's a place of spiritual growth. We grow into that place of faith where we don't worry. We have, to, we have to seek after that. And then we can have peace in our hearts. If we're judging others, look at the things that have fallen apart because Christians are judgmental. The whole evangelistic effort in, in the Western world has been hampered by judgmental Christians. I'm going to invite the ushers and the prayer teams down. We're going to close here in just a second. What we covered last week, ask, seek, and knock. If we're continually asking, if we're continually seeking, if we're continually pounding on the door to get into the things of God, then we're going to walk in. If we just get complacent, we don't ask, we don't seek, we don't knock, then we're going to fade away from the things of God. And there's one more command 
that Jesus gives that I want to talk about this morning. As it's the first weekend of the month, we're going to receive communion. Go ahead and uh, begin handing out the communion elements at Good Hope Church. If you would like to take communion, uh, go right ahead. Just make it something that's real between you and God. As uh, Jesus was talking about fasting and praying and uh, giving, that'll be fine. (laughs) Then uh, he said, don't do that to impress people, but make it real between you and God. And that's what we want with communion. Don't worry, if if you don't want to take communion, just pass. If you don't feel ready, don't worry about it, just pass. No one's going to care. But uh, if you're going to receive communion, make it real. That's on you. Here's the command that Jesus gave in Luke 22, starting at verse 17. He says this. This is the, during the Last Supper. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In verse 20, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's go back to verse 19. It's got that amazing phrase in it that uh, is engraved on altars. Do this in remembrance of me. So if we believe in Jesus and we're going to put his commands into practice, one of his commands is don't forget what I've done. We are to not forget the sacrifice that Jesus has made. We are to walk through this life with an awareness that we have been sacrificed for. Uh, I've heard it said that something is worth what someone's willing to pay for it. You know, how much is your car worth? Well, it depends on how much somebody's willing to pay for it. What are you worth? Well, what was Jesus willing to pay for you? What was Jesus willing to pay? Jesus was willing to be beaten, falsely accused, humiliated, crucified, basically tortured and killed so that you could be forgiven and brought into the family of God. He was worth, he felt you were worth paying that price for. And so we are to not forget that. But remember our value in Christ. And so he says, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body given for you. And so Jesus allowed his body to be broken for our healing. We go through difficulties in this life, but by his stripes you are healed. We can receive emotional healing. We can receive spiritual healing. We can even receive physical healing. And his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. 
that we would be made righteous, that we wouldn't have to worry about uh, not being good enough for the Lord because He has forgiven us. And He says, don't forget. And so, let's not forget. Let's remember and see our value in Christ. So let's pray together. Then we'll receive communion together. Then I'll invite people up for personal prayer in the front here. So Heavenly Father, we give you praise. We thank you, Lord, for your good plan. We thank you that it is part of your plan that we be redeemed. That we be brought into your family. That is your plan. And Lord, I thank you that you value each one of us individually, personally, so much. That you see us as worth sacrificing for. You see us as worth dying for. Help us to see ourselves the way that you see us. So that we can understand our value in your eyes. We thank you for the sacrifice that was made. That you were broken that we could be healed. Your blood was shed that we could be forgiven. And we give you praise for what you've done. Let's partake together. This is the body of Christ which was broken for you. Hallelujah. And this is the blood of Christ which was shed for you. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy and your kindness and love. Help us to never forget, to never take for granted your love, but to see our value in light of what you've done. Lord, I pray a blessing over each person in this place. Lord, I pray your peace would be upon us and your joy would be within us. And Lord, that your love, we would receive your love so much that we'd have an abundance and an overflow and be able to share your love with everyone we meet so that no one we meet would go unloved. Lord, bless us in that way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.